The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening, and uh, we've got a great program today, as always, and I know you're going to enjoy it, be inspired by it, get some new ideas from it, and uh, think about some ways that this can really support you in your spirituality and recovery walk. I want to thank you also for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. We have a Spirit of Recovery Facebook page, and it's great to get those likes. We get several every week, and that's wonderful. And thank you also for posting and for sharing our posts and so forth and letting people know about Spirit of Recovery. I want to thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual communities know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. It's great to be broadcasting here about spirituality and recovery on unityonlineradio.org and uh, getting the word out about what a great life recovery absolutely is. And thank you also for your emails, from for letting me hear from you and telling me what's happening for you in your recovery walk and your spirituality growth and it's uh, and what our guests are doing for you how they're touching your heart and opening your mind and giving you some inspiration and some broadening ideas about this process of spirituality and recovery every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth knowledgeable and innovative my guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people or oftentimes all of the above and uh, the guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen via your computer, via your smart device. You can go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. We've also got lots of great archived programs, so you can listen on demand. Simply go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, and you'll find several years worth of really excellent programs. I want you to know as well that if you like what's happening on Spirit of Recovery and also the many other great programs on unityonlineradio.org and if you'd like to give some financial support to this nonprofit radio station, you can do that. It's very easy. Just use your smartphone, go to unit text text to Unity Radio to 72727 and you can make a one-time or an ongoing contribution of finances and that supports all the great programming on UnityOnlineRadio.org. I want you to know also that Unity uh, Spirit of Unity Radio as well and Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. So if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member 
or friend of someone that has the disease of addiction and perhaps as a family member or friend, maybe you're in your own recovery as a family member or friend because you know there are recovery programs and recovery processes that address the issues of the family disease of addiction and you can be in recovery in that uh, fashion as well. So whether you or someone you love is or is not in recovery, um, you're welcome here. Your comments, your questions, your input to the guests on our topic are welcome. You can email or call in. Um, or also, if you're just curious about the process of recovery, just looking for some information, we're glad to have you. Glad you're listening, and you too are welcome to participate with a comment or question for my guest. We're glad you're here. So, um, again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your recovery Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. And also, I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And 34 years ago, those relationships uh, were catalysts, and they got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I am so grateful for that because that changed my life. And since then, my walk has been an integration of unity principles and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life, keeps me growing spiritually. And um, so I am very grateful about that and grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to bring you great guests and to hear what you're experiencing on your spirituality and recovery walk. Today's program is about choosing to change. And you know, recovery means change and it's not just that one change at the beginning of letting go of a substance or letting go um, of enabling or any other kind of uh, behavior that's compulsive or addictive. You know that recovery means continuous change. Change just becomes a way of life um, in recovery because we're always choosing to uh, go deeper, to live broadly, to live more fully, choosing to live from integrity and wholeness and shedding old ideas in the process. So Part of recovery is learning to go, okay, to change and keep choosing it because we're changing in positive directions. And my guest today is someone who really uh, knows a lot about that choice to change, uh, both personally and as well as a professional in the recovery field. My guest is Marilyn Davis, and she's a recovery curriculum author who advocates for and writes to the addicted population. She opened and ran an award-winning women's recovery home for 21 years and Marilyn created while she was there the TEARS process it's the acronym T-I-E-R-S and she'll be telling us some more about that today but it's a wonderful recovery process that focuses on empowerment through healthy choices and constructive relationships. Marilyn herself recently celebrated 27 years of abstinence-based recovery and she continues to work in the recovery field. She has a book that's going to be coming out next year in 2016, and the name of that book is Finding North, A Woman's Journey from Addict to Advocate. And Marilyn has a blog, and she also has a website up, so you can learn more about her work. If you want to go to her blog, it's called From Addict to, and the number two, Advocate, from Addict to Advocate dot blogspot.com or her website and her website www.tearsrecovery.net and tears is t-i-e-r-s recovery.net and uh, Marilyn has received many awards she received in 2010 the Liberty Bell Award for her work with the criminal justice system and Brunel University in Georgia created the Marilyn Davis Community Service Learning Award in 2008 and that's an ongoing award for people who advocate uh, for recovery in mental health recovery and wellness arenas so Marilyn thank you so much for being my guest today thank you glad you're here very glad. Thank you for the work you're doing. So, well, you. go ahead. No, I was just simply going to say that, that, as you well know, our work is twofold. We give and we receive when we work with others. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's so it's a lot. A lot of good comes in when we do this. Yes. For sure. Yes. And I know that you are a person that certainly knows that and that you know about the choice to change and about how difficult it is and how rewarding it is. 
Would you share with us, Marilyn, what happened to you 27 years ago when you were given a choice and you said, yeah, okay, I'm going to change? What happened? Well, I was a student at Brunel University as well as a house director. And so being a Dean's List student on an academic campus, I hid behind that for a long time. And when anybody would question me about my pill use or my drinking, I would throw up the shield of don't talk to me about taking these pills or drinking. I'm a Dean's List student. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times, depending on the arena, there are certain criteria for whether or not somebody is okay. And unfortunately, in an academic world, People judge you by your grades. So I kind of got to hide behind that for a while. And then I was what was considered the new house director role model rather than the old-fashioned, in quote, house mother. So I, I really, I was very isolated on the campus um, and and I hid behind kind of the new fair-haired child mm-hmm. um, as a house director. And we, when people would question me, and they did, you know, I would just talk about all of the stresses of being this new role model and everything else. And, you know, a lot of times people are concerned about us, but they don't really know how to confront us. And so they voice their concerns. And if we give some plausible explanation for why we're acting out or why our behavior is what it is, unfortunately, people unknowingly enable us. So I continued on. I was very fortunate. We got a new dean, and her comment was, we are not professionals when it comes to addiction. We don't know we need to send her off for an assessment. And I was actually honest with the um, counselor who (laughs) informed me that, yes, you are an addict and an alcoholic. And I asked her if she had to convey that information to the college. And she said, only if you give me permission, which, of course, I didn't do. And only a delusional alcoholic and addict like myself would think that no news was good news. <laughs> and, about, yeah, about 12 days later, I was called to the president's office. And the moment that I walked in, Anna, I was a psychology major, and I saw them all lined up in a row with their three-by-five card, three cards. And I knew exactly what they were doing. This was going to be an intervention. Mm. And mm-hmm. as I told you earlier, I would not make a good candidate on the TV show. I simply looked at all of them, and I caved right then. I started crying, and I said, what do you need me to do? Mm-hmm. And part of that was I was so tired of waiting for the other shoe to drop, and that sort of you know, little animal caught in the the wheel. Um, I was just spinning wheels, and I didn't know how to get out. And nobody had given me any solutions yet. They just kept telling me to change. So at that moment, they all said, well, you need to go into treatment. And I said, when? And they said, well, you have to be there by 8 o'clock tonight. And I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I know today that that had those people not cared enough to compile all of the bad behaviors on those three-by-five cards um, and, and really tell me, this is your choice. You go to treatment and change, and we may keep you on as, as an employee, but if you do not do these things, then we're going to have to terminate you. And at that point in my life, um, I was estranged from my family, and my job was my identity. So my job was important enough for me to make that first change, and that was to go to treatment. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you said something really interesting in there. You said that if those people hadn't cared enough, mm-hmm. when they were doing that, did you feel the caring? Or sometimes in that situation, at that moment, people don't. The person who's got the addiction doesn't necessarily feel cared about. They may feel scared or angry, but I don't know. In that moment, did you feel the caring, or how did that seem to you? I did, and I think part of that was because, um, you know, in a lot of interventions, we have families there, and and I want to talk about interventions a little bit more in depth in a moment. but I knew that those four deans and the president of the college had to care in order to facilitate this. They had to have a meeting about it. Granted, I wasn't present. But I knew that these people were doing this because they wanted to get me some help. And oftentimes in interventions, that is the underlying motive for many family members, unfortunately, if they're not prepared enough, what they're saying to the addict who needs help comes across as just more condemnation. So I think in my case, it it registered that it was care. And I think sometimes we have to help families get to the point where they can be demonstrating the care. And that's why there really needs to be a lot of of pre-planning before there is an actual intervention when it's family and friends. Right. Yeah, you're so right because, as as you all know, in family situations, or I'm I'm making an assumption that even there in your, your job environment, people around the addicted person get, angry they get frustrated Mm -hmm. and so forth that's normal and that's there's nothing wrong with that but like you said it's not effective when they dump that on the person who is addicted it it doesn't work it just kind of creates more separation there Mm -hmm. so yeah so that you're right that caring component and that because the heart can feel that you know no matter what's going on right the heart it can feel that can feel that sense of caring and that really that makes the difference. So when so you went so you made that choice um, to change, yes. and did you feel like you were jumping off into the unknown or or not? How did that? Seem oh, to very you? very much so. Um, in 1988, we did not have sort of the public awareness of treatment and or recovery supported meetings. Um, at least I did not, and so. Um, when I went down to treatment in Atlanta, um, there were 80 other people. And while I could feel, you know, some camaraderie with them, um, I, I, was, I was just absolutely clueless um, about what treatment entailed. And I, I was in treatment for six weeks. I had to go through a three-week medical detox. And... That was very long, but that just simply had to do with the substances that I was taking. And I think it's unfortunate that we don't necessarily have that type of extended initial treatment that we did have then. You know, it was pretty much based on the old 28-day model, if you will. Mm-hmm. And. I'm very appreciative of the treatment that I got and and still actually maintain a friendship with the woman that was my initial um, detox counselor. When you went into treatment, what was the biggest leap for you in terms of changing? I had to stop blaming people. I had to take personal responsibility for my choices, mm-hmm. you know, and and what I find ironic, and this is all in retrospect, of course, but um, I was blaming people who were no longer even in my life, you know, ex-husbands, um, 
I had given my children back to their father um, about two years prior to going into treatment. Um, so clearly I couldn't blame an ex-husband for current behaviors, nor my children, nor my sister, nor whomever. Um, so I blamed a lot of people. And I blamed a lot of situations and circumstances from my past. And I think that was the biggest thing. But one of the reasons that I could get motivated to do that was because on some level I understood that if I quit blaming people and learned how to be in control and change, that that was very empowering. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and I could not, I could not articulate that process at the time. But as I said, in retrospect, that's that's what the process was for me. Right, was moving from a sort of victim posture and um, going ahead and and taking responsibility, and then once I took responsibility. Then I had to look and say, okay, here are the behaviors that get you in trouble every bit as much as your substance abuse. Right. But but what are you going to change into? And I think that's where I think we've been somewhat remiss in treatment. We keep telling everybody, you need to change, you need to change. Well, the reality is they know they need to change, but if they can't identify what they need to change, and then following that up with this is what you can change that into and sort of educating them about both sides of that coin, we're not doing a very good job. We good just point. sound like their family That's or their co-worker. Yeah. That's great. we got time for our break. I love that thought. Okay. We're going to come back to that. Uh, stay with us, listeners. We'll Our topic today is choosing to change. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be back with my guest, Marilyn Davis, talking about choosing to change. Stay with us on Spirit of Recovery. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. like life. Grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And our topic today is choosing to change. We're talking about how it is that recovery means change. It does more than just that initial change of letting go of the substance or behavior of addiction or enabling, but continuous change and getting used to change and knowing that it's a good thing because we're becoming more ourselves. And my guest today is Marilyn Davis, and Marilyn is a recovery curriculum author who advocates for and writes to the addicted population. And uh, Marilyn opened and ran an award-winning women's recovery home for 21 years, and she in that time created the TEARS process, T-I-E-R-S, E-R-S, a recovery process that focuses on empowerment through healthy choices and constructive relationships. Marilyn herself recently celebrated 27 years of abstinence-based recovery, and she's got a book coming out in 2016, and the name of that book is Finding North, A Woman's Journey from Addict to Advocate. You can learn more about Marilyn's work at her blog. That's from addict to advocate.blogspot.com. And the two in there is the number two. So it's from addict, the number two, the addict to advocate.blogspot.com. You can also uh, find her website at www.tearsrecovery.net. And that's T-I-E-R-S recovery.net. Before I get back to my conversation with Marilyn about change, I invite you to join me for a brief meditation and uh, the Serenity Minute. Just take a moment to share with me a constructive idea and a moment in the quiet to make that conscious contact with your higher power. So I invite you to relax, to let go, to be aware of your breath, and to notice the presence of your higher power right there with you, within you, around you, loving you. And share with me this constructive idea. I have the courage to change because my higher power is with me and guiding me. I have the courage to change because my higher power is with me and guiding me. And we take just a moment now in the quiet. for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I hope that that was an opportunity for you to take a moment and make that conscious contact and find that relationship with your higher power and that courage to change. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest Marilyn Davis and we're talking about choosing to change. So, Marilyn, you were uh, sharing with us before the break about your own choices to change 27 years ago when you went into that recovery process. And you also uh, shared with us right before the break there, as a professional now in the recovery field, you're talking about what can happen sometimes in treatment. Maybe, you know, we we help people go, okay, we got to change, but sometimes it's not always so clear what we're to what or how do I do it. Um, and right. And so how, tell us more about that. What, what works? What helps people? Well, tears is actually, one of the components of tears is the reco- glossary recovery terms. And it looks at 300 terms, whether it is for character defects, negative aspects, positive aspects, admirable qualities and different types of codependency traits. Because I don't think that any of us um, can change anything that we can't identify. So 
I wrote the glossary actually in, in self-defense, if you will. I had a population of 17, and I might not be able to remember if I had told someone what something meant. And so I thought, well, you know, why don't you just write it down? And so it, tears evolved over the 21 years of running North House. And that way you can say to someone, okay, when you think you know everything, we usually refer to that as arrogance. Another position to take with that might be humility. So you start letting people learn the terminology. And believe me, all of us had to learn terminology to exist in the drug world. This is learning the language of recovery. We have to learn language when we go on on a job. So it's not like it's a foreign concept to anybody to to learn new terminology. And when people are allowed to learn that on their own, they really participate more in the recovery process because they know what you're talking about. And when they share something, all of their peers know exactly what they're talking about. The facilitator knows. And so there are components of tiers that help people start looking at all the various puzzle pieces, if you will, of their addiction. And it's not quite as overwhelming when you can view one single piece of it. And it may be a core issue or it may be an ancillary thing. Tell us what you mean by a a core issue. Well, a core issue may be something like someone was sexually abused, molested, when they were a child, this is going to have far-reaching ramifications in their life. And it may be underlying their substance abuse. So when we can get down to things like that, neglect, abuse, trauma, and then work on those issues, that individual stands a much better chance of not going back to using substances to medicate the pain. Mhm. Mhm. So, you know, you made a a really interesting statement there. You said that when people know the meanings of terms in recovery and learning those, they can participate more in right. the process. Tell us more about that. How's it different when somebody's really engaged in their own recovery process and and when they're kind of like standing there maybe like a scared rabbit kind of getting a lot of stuff kind of laid on them or coming at them? What's the difference? Well, I think it's like anything else. When you, when we are engaged in something, we are emotionally invested in it, mentally invested in it. We are finding value in it. And I work with both those individuals who come into treatment voluntarily as well as clients who are mandated, whether that's through a drug court or probation, something like that. And I think that... Certainly, there is some resistance to treatment because they've they've already had an opportunity, say, in a drug court, and they weren't successful. So getting that population engaged, it's not going to happen if you set yourself up as an authority. They've already had an authority telling them to change. They've already had an authority, like a judge or a primary counselor, saying, if you don't do these things and if you relapse, then you're going to go to prison. You know, those people have much more authority than I do. So I cannot approach it in that same manner. But if you find out, and it's what I call GPS, you know, I think we have to use terminology that works for young people today. I'm an old person. Okay. Everybody uses GPS today to get where they want to go. Even someone who's been resistant in a prior treatment wants to be someplace else. They don't want to continue having the same outcomes and consequences they've had. But part of the problem is they don't really know how to get to where they want to go. Language is going to help them get there. Process is going to help them get there. So GPS in my recovery world is goals, planning, 
and solution. And when I can find out where somebody wants to get to, and that may be reunification with their family, that may be education, that may be back with the wife, the husband, whatever the case may be, you know, then that person is going to be engaged because it's personal to them. Mm-hmm. And only when it is personal to an individual are they going to engage in the process. So some of it is backing up and finding out what's important to that individual. And that is going to be different for each individual. And then the other thing that I love about working in, in the, the um, addiction field today is how much emphasis we put on peers. Um, for 20 years, I had peer teams. Mm-hmm. Because I, in all honesty, and this addresses the integrity issue, I did not know what it was like to be arrested at North House. I was never a resident resident there. I opened it. Mm-hmm. So peers, to me, were the resource for how do you get through treatment? Not me. And so I've really always been pretty peer-oriented. And when you have a non-static population, and by that I just mean that everybody doesn't come in at the same time, you will have those people who have phased up to a two or a three or whatever, they can talk about how they got engaged, why they got engaged, why they were resistant prior, and the outcomes that they're having now. And that's part of that whole roadmap. Oh, you got where I want to go. Well, let's talk about how. Mm -hmm. And when you get a whole population that is engaged, and feels respected as a resource. It's just kind of amazing. I just sit back sometimes and let them process. And they all understand the terminology now. So they're having meaningful conversations about recovery. It's powerful. It really is. And it it is exciting to be. Um, able to do some things. Um, don't get me wrong. My my 21 years at North House, it, it was just a wonderful experience, but it was really time for me to branch out and to try and use what, what I hope is a talent, but it is definitely a passion, <laughs> and that mm-hmm. is writing. And so being able to reach out and share other information on a world platform is just really exciting. And so that's kind of the the leap that I took when North House closed. Tell us about some of the information that's on your blog, because you do, you publish some, I think, information uh, about some of those core issues that you were talking about. So for people that have engaged already in the initial recovery process, but as we all know, again, it's ongoing and there's layers. And if we want to live fully, sometimes there's some other stuff that's got to be dealt with. So what's on your blog? Tell us a little bit about what's on your blog. Well, would you like me to give you titles or just talk about, you know, some of the content? Just just some of the content, just types of things that you put on there. Um, Some of it is going to be about other problematic behaviors, for instance, being manipulative. Mm -hmm. And then breaking that down into the various types of manipulation. But one of the things that that I, I like people to look at is what does that behavior cost you and what do you get out of it? You know, because unfortunately sometimes people can feel pretty smug that they've gotten over on people and they're still enabling them or whatever. You know, unfortunately it's a good way to start burning bridges in in your relationships. People are going to wise up at some point in time. So it's a different approach to it. That just happens to be manipulation. Um, Another one that I wrote recently was about 
not being afraid to meet the demons within, you know, and and being able to confront those kinds of behaviors on our own. See, I think that's another thing that we have hopefully moved away from. I can certainly identify something in someone else, but it is much, much more powerful if they identify it themselves. So a lot of my blogs are going to be about a clinical issue. I'm always going to tell you how I either participated in it or worked through it, and then try and encourage people to go ahead and learn to be introspective. That's the probably the best gift of recovery. It's not just giving up the drugs. It's being able to have the opportunity to take ourselves apart and put ourselves back together better. It's time for our second break. So I hope that's what all of my blogs do. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet so. Well, we'll be back. It's time for our second break. So, uh, and, And we'll give your blog address again when we come back. My guest is Marilyn Davis, and we're talking about choosing to change. We'll be right back. Stay with us on Spirit of Recovery. Benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zender every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your host. And our topic today is Choosing to Change. My guest is Marilyn Davis, and uh, she is doing a wonderful work here of sharing with us about that process of change. She's a recovery curriculum author. She works with uh, people in the recovery process. She created what's called the TEARS process, T-I-E-R-S, that focuses on empowerment through healthy choices and healthy relationships. And Marilyn 
Carolyn herself is celebrating 27 years of abstinence-based recovery. She's got a book coming out in 2016 called Finding North, A Woman's Journey from Addict to Advocate. And you can look her up on the web. Look up her blog on fromaddicttoadvocate.blogspot.com and the two in there is a number two, fromaddicttoadvocate.blogspot.com or you can find her um, website at www.tearsrecovery.net and it's T-I-E-R-S. So, Marilyn, you were telling us um, there before the break about the, you know, just the importance of engaging with that change process and why that matters so much and, you know, facing all that. And and I know you've got some um, work when you work with people that you have this idea about um, kind of helping them decide how willing are they to change. And you've got some questions, you know, about are the risks of staying the same greater than the discomfort of change? And am I willing uh-huh. to experience the uneasiness and anxiety while changing? Those are good questions. So what happens when you kind of present that to people? Or how do you do that? How do you work with that? Well, oftentimes those are questions that no one's ever asked them before or really acknowledged. You know, this is going to be uncomfortable. Are you willing to be uncomfortable for a while? And also approaching it from the perspective early on is, Somebody referenced something for me in, in, from my use. It gave me a framework. So I will ask people, were you proficient when you first started um, using drugs, IV, or did you? And, and sometimes we'll actually get graphic with them and say, did you miss a vein? Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, yes. I'm like, okay. But that did not deter you from continuing on and become re- becoming really good at that, did it? No, ma'am. <laughs> and I'll say, well, that's what change in recovery is like, too. You're not going to do it perfectly the first time. And so it gives them actually a framework for, okay, it's all right to make mistakes. I don't have to be imperfect in this thing called recovery. No, you do not. You just continue making progress towards. And that really frees a lot of people up to go ahead and risk the change. Other people are scared to death that if they make significant changes, no one is going to like them. And so it's like, does your family like you now? No, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I I had one client one time say, Miss Marilyn, I'm not sure anybody asks the questions you do. But I think that they are questions that are are not harmful questions. They're they're really kind of let's just talk about this question. And so when somebody says, Well, no, my family doesn't like me now I'm like, okay, then are they people that you would like to have like you? Yes. Okay. Is that motive enough to change? And for some people it is. You know, I'm clearly working with women for 21 years. I mean, many of them had had their children taken away. So there was a lot of incentive to change behavior, stop using, and reunite with their children. And I also believe that early on, a lot of us do not think that we are deserving of recovery. We've just done such horrible things. And so giving people permission to get into recovery, in quote, because of an external motivation is fine. Now, if that does not get reframed at somewhere between nine months and a year to where the motivation is internal. I'm doing this for me. Um, it, it does not necessarily mean that it, it's going to stick. But initially, letting people get into recovery because their motive is external is perfectly fine for me. Mm-hmm. I got clean and sober and into recovery because I wasn't going to have a job. That's about as external as you can get. At about nine or ten months, 
um, it, the motive became I, I'm in recovery because I want to become a better person. I was important enough then, but I certainly was not to begin with. And so giving people permission to use external um, motivation is another thing that I think is just makes sense to me. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, Marilyn. When, uh-huh. uh, when, it, when, they're, when that's happening, when people are making that shift, which hopefully they do, and we know some do and some don't, mm-hmm. but, but they do have to tolerate a lot of anxiety, a lot of uneasiness through this process. Mm-hmm. What helps them? What supports a person, whether they're new and entering recovery, like you're saying in that early period, or whether there's somebody that's been in recovery a long time and it's like, oh, here we go. There's some core issues i got to deal with. What helps a person to tolerate the anxiety and keep on going? I think talking to other people, crying, writing, journaling, um, yelling in the shower. Uh, There are a whole lot of things that I think we have to have almost a physical cathartic release for that anxiety and that apprehension when we start um, getting introspective. And, of course, a lot of recovery is about sharing. It's about communication. It is also about finding someone who will take the time to listen. You know, that's a a big thing. Um, So with a lot of our groups, when someone does start disclosing things, um, we will ask them what they need. People oftentimes do know what they need when they're, um, anxious and upset, you know, and sometimes they just need to continue talking. They don't want a solution right now. They want to get it out. And so all of us need to ask a person what they need, what is going to help you right now. Mm-hmm. And when you give them permission, a lot of times they do know. If they say they don't know, then you can offer, well, this works for me. You know, this, over the years, I've seen this be helpful to people. But I, I'm a, a big believer in writing. And it's not about great writing. Um, I tell people when they when they start writing, if they will go ahead and write with a red, blue, and green pen, red if you're angry, blue if you're sad, green if you're jealous, uh, if if you're jealous, it really does reinforce it. And if you get it out on paper, it's no longer within. And then once you get it out on paper, then you may be willing to share it with another human. So I think those are all ways that people can have a cathartic experience that is going to help allay a lot of their fears and anxieties mm-hmm. and discomfort. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you're saying this, and really this has been threaded through all that you've been sharing with us today, Marilyn, is that idea about building constructive relationships. And I love the quotation you've got from Carl Rogers, the great client-centered uh, American yes. psychologist. Would you share that? I, I've got the quote here. If I, I don't want to put you on the spot to read it. But if you have it or what you think about that, share that with us and tell us why that matters. Well, I'm going to paraphrase now because clearly 27 years ago, I would have just told you what you needed to do, mm-hmm. you know. And while I might have been right, I would also have been offensive. Mm-hmm. And so now my my whole philosophy is what do you and how can I help you or can I help you get there? It's much more about not really trying to change you. It, it is much more about, I, I hope I am a resource to help you change you. And so it, it, it's just a different philosophy. And this is about my ongoing change as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved it when you, when you started this show, mentioning the fact that it is not just giving up the substances and that it is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And you referenced that that you had 34 years. Um, I'm sure that you have made significant changes during that period of time. We just Many. don't stop changing, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. to me is really exciting. So, um, 
I'm probably much more human in my approach now rather than kind of, you know, the dictator, this is what you need to do. I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> but if you tell me what you need to do, I might be able to help you do it. And that's, that's kind of a different philosophy. It is, and it's so... Um, uh the ob- the wonderful obverse of what happens in addiction because as you well know what's going on in addiction and in a family system or a community system where addictions run in the show is everybody just bossing everybody around one way or the other it's been a bunch of bullies and yeah this is so different yeah mm-hmm. and and i i must admit i have been a bully but i think yeah, if if we don't look at the whole, the totality of it, the client, the curriculum, the you know, and then and then look at all those components. You know, it's real easy to be a bully, unfortunately, because we really can you have a good-hearted bully, you know, the the one who wants everybody to get better, and so they they come across like a dictator. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I, you know, I've owned it once. I'm not owning it again. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to think I've changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm hoping that you know treatment and and recovery changes as well. I think one of the things that has forced a lot of us to look at treatment is the fact that we have many more options today. Mm-hmm. You know, there are individuals who want a faith-based recovery format. Others want a secular and some want a 12-step. And there is nothing nothing better or worse about any of those. It really is about the individual. And so when you start saying there are multiple paths to recovery, then you have got to be able to have multiple ways of giving recovery as well. What worked for me back during the day of the old peeling the onion, um, it's too brutal, it's too it's too confrontational for today, I think. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. time is up. But, Marilyn, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing and and that uh, powerful, uh, creative, connecting consciousness that you bring to recovery. It, your gift. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listeners, thanks for being with us today. Again, my guest has been Marilyn Davis. You can look up her blog, From Addict to Advocate, and her her. Uh, Website at tearsrecovery.net, T-I-E-R-S. So y'all have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Remember 
Remember when you entered first grade? Did you find it hard to believe you'd ever be able to learn and do all that was expected of you? Do you remember how, through your own consistent effort and the support of your parents and teachers, you did learn the basics and went on to master more complex skills? Life is a process similar to the one we experience in school. As we move through life and attempt to expand our awareness of who we are and what life is all about, we encounter new problems, such as the schoolroom of daily living. We can approach each situation with a positive attitude, take one step at a time, and know it's only a matter of persistence before we arrive at a solution. Repeated efforts will accomplish any undertaking. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.